0: Well, welcome back, everyone. Thank you so much for tuning in this week. My name is Kendra Arsenal, and this is a podcast where we are going to enjoy some interesting conversations regarding books, regarding life, culture, politics, religion, all that wonderful stuff from the specific lens of what it means to be bi, Bi bicultural, biracial, bisexual, looking at that unique experience. So just to kind of get you guys up to date with some books that I've been reading, um, I am reading The Scarlet Letter, and I am reading um, Abolita Faith, and we're going to talk about them soon in our upcoming podcast, so I don't want you to think that I've forgotten about those. But today I wanted to do something different. I want to actually read a sermon that I had to work on for this week, and I don't typically like doing the word-for-word reading for sermons, um, but... I kind of wanted to try it out and see how this works as a style, but I wanted to kind of share with you um, my sermon for this week because I'm kind of a little bit behind on the books. I'm trying my best to get a podcast out every week. And just to be honest, it's like, man, it's talking to someone this week and saying it's so difficult just to rebuild and not just rebuilding you know, the platform and the idea, but like having the motivation to think like, am I going to get back to where I was at? Right. Uh, There is significantly less people who are caring about what I have to say now. And that's perfectly fine um, because I think listening to somebody is something you earn. But just having to do that all over again has been kind of a struggle. So, you know, um, there's not a lot of motivation to be like, let's go full speed ahead keep on chugging along as though nothing happened because it's not true, right? So anyway, I want to talk today about a sermon that I'm doing, um, particularly on the Sabbath, and it's called The Sabotage of Sabbath. And so without any further ado, um, I'm going to get into this. For those of you who like to support me on Patreon for as little as $5 a month, you'll get a bonus episode every week. Um, I actually entered in this week's episode a little bit early, but that's okay. Um, So I just appreciate you guys for those of you who want to participate and support this project. I just want to say thank you to all of those who already are supporting the project. Um, I appreciate you deeply, deeply. So let me just go ahead and get into this. Ever since I was a young girl, I have often had dreams that predict something in the future. Never something significant. Sometimes it's an old friend that I haven't connected with in a while who calls me the next day out of the blue. Other times it's an odd piece of clothing that I recognize from a dream that I had the night before. Once I dreamed of a friend who was in tears and the next day I found out that her grandmother had passed away. At this point, I think it's a pretty universal experience to have one of those moments where a person calls or texts and you just say to yourself, I was just thinking about that person. I don't believe my dreams are prophetic in the way that we see prophecy working in the Bible. But I do think there is something mysterious about the fabric that connects us all, like that gravitational mesh which holds the earth in the middle of space, a mesh that is affected by the presence of earth and changes shape because of it. There seems to be a mesh of spiritual gravity that connects all of us. Maybe it's a thing we call intuition, or a sixth sense. So many of us, due to the busyness of life, become numb to our bodies and the inner voice of truth that speaks in the silence of stillness. It is the still, small voice that tells us uncomfortable truths. Recently I had a dream, which is sometimes my body's way of telling me things that I don't want to hear. (laughs) In this dream, I was in a rainy marsh, in the middle of no distinct place. There were various animals around in the greenery, many taking shelter because of the rain. A family of finches sheltered in a bush, a mom and several babies, puffing their bodies and fluffing their feathers to keep the rain from soaking into their coats. Suddenly, I see a lost little duckling soaking wet and dragging its feet on the muddy ground. It was all alone, tired and hungry and lost. The little duckling was trying to drink from the muddy waters beneath his feet and began to get sicker the more he drank from the contaminated streams. My compassion went out to this little duckling and I gathered his little body into my arms and brought him to a nearby pool. The water was cleaner. And immediately he took a drink and life began to be restored to his very little body. He began swimming after the tiny crawfish that darted beneath him. But suddenly he got stuck in the sand below and soon would drown without my help. I quickly dug him out and brought him back to the surface. But now I was worried. How would this little duckling be able to survive on his own? I turned my back for just a moment and death was close at his heels. I gathered him into my arms once again, and this time, as I did so, something strange happened, as in dreams they often do. I could see him trying to contort his little body into the shape of a finch. Like the family of finches we had seen earlier, he was trying to be like one of the little ones. He not only wanted, but needed to be accepted into this family of finches in order to survive. After all, he was all alone. But in order to survive, he had to make changes that were painful to him and deceitful to himself. He had to become something he was not, in order for others to love him. My heart grew deeply sad as I watched this duckling change his shape. Something about him deeply resonated with myself and how I operated in the world. We are not a species that can survive in isolation. We must have community. As someone who was born of an Afro-Latina immigrant mother, I come from a long history of women people groups who often have to contort themselves in ways that are painful and destructive in order to find acceptance in the struggle for survival. I began to ask myself, What ways have you molded yourself and contorted your identity for the sake of survival? What Bible characters can you think of that needed to do the same? For starters, I'd venture to say most of all women. Living in a patriarchal society, women lived and still do live at a disadvantage. This disadvantage forces them often to accept norms and double standards that they would not have to accept if they were truly equal. I was scrolling through my Twitter feed and read this quote from at Brianna Joy, another woman who is tired of the gender discrimination that women often face at the hands of religious leaders. She wrote, I want at Gary L. Thomas and at Zondervan to know That for an untold number of women, his words in married sex are triggering trauma responses and great anguish this week. We are tired. We are so, so tired of being told that men desperately need sex and we don't. We are so tired of being told that our bodies have an almost mystical power over men and that we need to use our sexuality strategically to retain our husband's affections. We are so tired of being treated like a separate species, primarily defined by our sex appeal. I want at Gary Thomas to know what it's like to be a woman suffering with vaginismus and forcing herself through agonizing pain and hours of dilator therapy every week in sheer terror that the man she loves will leave her. If she can't fulfill his sexual expectations. I want at Gary L. Thomas to recognize that that scarring women into performing sexually by threatening them with the collapse of their marriages leads to serious trauma, insecurity, and an inability to trust their husbands, even when their husbands aren't raging sex machines, end quote. Women are tired, tired of the contortions that are unnatural to themselves that are forced upon them by institutions claiming to know God. As a woman, I can concur. We are tired. All throughout the Bible, we have seen the effects of inequality but have normalized them as some idealized form of the way the world should work. In the story of Abraham and Sarah, if inequality were not at work, she would not have to accept being taken to the house of Pharaoh. Hagar would not have to accept being treated like cattle, serving no greater function than to bear a child. Leah would not have to be forced to remain in a marriage where she was not loved or wanted. Jochebed would not have to settle for being merely a wet nurse to her own child because she was an immigrant. Ruth would not have to beg for the hand of an older man, nor Esther contend for the affection of the king among his many wives. These stories that make up our sacred history do not reflect the ideals of God, but rather the effects of sin. The Sabbath, which has often been the marker of what makes an Adventist an Adventist, was the first piece of scripture that I ever memorized. Little did I realize how much wisdom was packed into this little passage of sacred text. Coming from an agnostic home, but joining a community of Adventists when I was 12, the first verse I ever learned to memorize was Exodus 28 through 11 in the KJV. Remember the Sabbath day. Wherefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day, and hallowed it. Week after week I recited this verse, sitting side by side with my fellow worshiper. We all breathed a sigh of relief, knowing that we had stepped into the obedience of God, the obedience he had commanded. It had been instilled into my head and into my heart, that entering into the boundaries of the Sabbath day was like entering into Noah's ark. It was the vessel that would keep me safe from the storm of destruction and the end of the world. As I continued to grow in my education and experience, interacting with people from all types of faith traditions, the Sabbath became not merely an inactive force, a passive institution we stepped into, but an active force, capable of making positive change in the world. For the economically vulnerable among us, The Sabbath is given as an explicit command to those in power. It was instructions given to landowners on how to treat the male and female servants, the cattle, and the strangers within their gates. The Sabbath is a social protection for the economically and societally vulnerable. It is spoken to those in power and demands equality across gender and socioeconomic statuses. The Sabbath is more than just a command to rest, it is an affirmation of human dignity. And the command of Sabbath, given to landowners, is an act of social justice. To the poor, it is an assurance that you might have a right to the rest God created, a rest that is an affirmation of your humanity and a restoration to your soul. The Sabbath command is a reminder that whatever modicum of power we hold, we are accountable to God, for those who come under our care. It is a protection against greedy businessmen and middle managers who fail to provide a living wage to the undocumented worker. The Sabbath has eyes. It watches the landowner in his or her actions towards those who have no power to complain against the hand of abuse. It observes those who have been silenced through political and social disadvantages and takes up their cause. Sabbath reaches its hand into the bank account of the wealthy, claiming back the land, the employees, the servants, and even the animals as first belonging to God. The meat industry that callously cages chickens and cows, the pig intelligent creatures made wise by their creator and keeps them cruelly pinned in a stall where they are unable to move, defecating upon themselves and living in their own filth seven days a week. The Sabbath is watching. To these abused victims born for slaughter for the sake of man's own appetite, the Sabbath is taking account and making them accountable to God. To the farmer who hires immigrant labor and does not allow him to take a sixth day for fear of replacement, compelling the undocumented worker to work beyond that which he or she is physically able, the Sabbath is watching. To those victims of human trafficking and forced slave labor, to those who just can't simply make ends meet because minimum wage is not enough, the Sabbath is watching. It is not only the cries of uneducated Hebrew slaves that rang into the ears of heaven. The lamentations of tortured souls that called forth the Moses into their generation are still ascending into heaven like the incense of the sanctuary, waiting for God to avenge them. The Sabbath is an active tool of God's justice. The Sabbath is not only a protection against exploitation, it is a positive statement of social equality. While researching academic articles on Sabbath, I ran across Matilda Frey's article, Women's Ordination, Gender Equality, and the Sabbath. In it, she states, Scripture shows that, unlike any other concept in day, the Sabbath implicates all human beings by core gender categories. Male and female, and regards them as equals before God. In other words, man and woman, male, slave, and female slave are all acknowledged in the Sabbath command explicitly by their gender. The language of Exodus 20 does not simply say all human beings are all slaves, it acknowledges each person according to gender as a recognition of the inequality that exists between genders. Thus, God was ensuring social equality between majority and minority groups on the Sabbath day. Frey goes on to make another statement, saying, quote, the Sabbath tells the Israelite man and woman that each is set free from the bonds of any kind of slavery. More importantly, each individual, male and female, receives the words of the Sabbath command, his or her new identity. Quote, there is neither male nor female for you are all one in Christ Jesus." End quote. The Sabbath is the precursor to the great equalizing statement of Paul in Galatians 3:28. It is a day where the social delineations that might separate Jew and Gentile, slave and free, male and female are erased. Those who have nothing and those who have everything are all one. This is a foretaste of heaven's social order. Understanding the Sabbath as a social equalizer, as well as the heavenly ideal, has many implications. We could discuss the theological implication for the acceptance of women's ordination. In fact, Frey in her article makes this compelling point. The Sabbath speaks directly, quote, to human beings, male and female, and defines the essence and function of both as equals before God. The Sabbath responds to gender questions of women's ordination with its inclusive, non-hierarchical message. Instituted in creation, the Sabbath comes into our world with its coercive systems, into our churches with their male-dominated hierarchical power structures, and transplants men and women into God's world. End quote. We could discuss the myriad and many forms that inequality erupts its ugly head within our society within our churches, and within our personal relationships. The Sabbath is the touchstone of justice, the measurement that God will use to judge the earth and answer the question, if you have done it unto the least of these, you have done it unto me. As I conclude the story about the Sabbath, I want to end with a whimsical tale that might better illustrate the issue. As all good stories go, we begin with once upon a time. In a far-off place at an unknown time, there was a little suppling who happened upon a forest. Now, supplings aren't very strong or powerful, but they are very smart, and their favorite questions are why. Supplings aren't from around here, so much of what happens in a forest is quite new to them. So, not knowing much about a forest, but curious nonetheless, the little suppling sauntered one morning along a cool, trickling stream, deep, 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 in the woods. While on this wild adventure, she met many enchanted creatures along the way. The first creature she met looked something like she had never seen before. Why do you have such big teeth and long legs, the suppling asked the fox, not knowing that it was a fox, but curious nonetheless. The fox replied, I have no hands to make a garden and grow my food, so I rely on my sharp teeth so that I can eat. "'but there are other animals around here that are much bigger than me "'and would make me food, so I must also be very fast.' "'Oh, well, that makes good sense,' "'the suppling replied as she rubbed her chin quite content with the answer. "'Next, while smelling the flowers and placing a few in her pocket, "'the suppling ran into a bee, "'not knowing that it was a bee but curious nonetheless, and said, "'Oh my, you there. "'Why do you have a needle for a tail?' Is it because you have no hands to get food, or is it because other creatures in the forest want to eat you and you must run fast to get away like the fox? The bee replied, Oh no, I don't need hands to make food since I drink the nectar of these flowers. Also, not many creatures in the forest want to eat me, and if they did, I have these very fast wings to get away. The bee replied, The suppling looked stumped and said, So why do you have a needle for a tail? Well, Mr. Bee replied, I make honey for a living. Sweet, calorie-rich honey, and I must protect it from thieves. But you have wings, the sapling said. If no one wants to eat you, why not fly away with great speed when the thief comes? The bee perched himself upon a flower for a moment. He paused and then replied, My sting is not to protect myself or my wealth. Of the people I love, I am one of the tiniest creatures in the forest, and I make the most valuable food. Many others, big and strong, can come and take what cost me my whole life to make. So my sting is my only weapon, but I pay for it with my life if I decide to use it. And my vengeance toward the thief, even the thief, is avenged. Ah, the suppling responded, "You are very small." And you do make a great treasure, so you have been given the needle to compensate for your size. Next, the suppling came across a terrible beast with large teeth and hands the size of a fox's head. So the suppling asked the bear, not knowing that it was a bear but curious nonetheless, Oh my! Why are you so large and scary, with teeth that can crush a fox and hands that can tear down the bee's honeycomb? I am a terrible beast, the bear replied. I am a predator to the fox, and I often steal the honeycomb of the bee. There is no one here in the forest that is larger than I or can stop me. Well, that's just not fair, the suppling replied. How can you just be allowed to ravage all these good woodland creatures all year round with no one to stop you? Ah, the bear replied. Not all year round. I sleep six months out of the year. And so the forest is able to rest for a time from my terrifying presence. And so the suppling learned that in all the creatures of the forest, from the very terrible to the very tiny, they were all created different, but with equality. Jesus, through his miracles of mercy, often performed on the Sabbath, lived out the ideal of the Sabbath as an institution of equality. Now it was the Sabbath day when Jesus made the mud and opened his eyes. John nine fourteen. The blind beggar, who did not have the means to provide for his own well-being due to his disability, rose restored to wholeness. The blind and the disabled, placed at an economic disadvantage because of their physical defects in a society that stigmatized disabilities, were restored. But the ruler of the synagogue, indignant because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath, said to the people, There are six days in which work ought to be done. Come on those days and be healed, and not on the Sabbath. The rulers did not understand that the Sabbath was a day for the disenfranchised to participate in the equality that had been denied them six days of the week. Jesus healed the disparities caused by health. He enabled the disabled giving them the dignity they lacked in an ableist world. The healing that removed inequality was the most appropriate work Jesus could do on the Sabbath. The Sabbath is a refuge to the marginalized and oppressed and is not a passive agent in God's salvation. The Sabbath has eyes. It is watching and taking the acts of injustice into account. It is an equalizer in the kingdom of God, stating that both men and women The female slave and the male slave are one. The wealthy and the poor are one. The religious systems, the social systems that perpetuate oppression are removed, and each man and woman sit as equals before each other and before God. What shall we do then as we understand these categories of the marginalized among us? The male slave and the female slave, the animals and the immigrant. And yet even these categories do not include the elderly or the disabled, or those systematically oppressed in the church or in their country because of race, gender, and sexuality. The Sabbath is a call to radical equality. We must make the application in our own lives as to what that means for us personally. We are all given some modicum of power, whether that is power within our family structures, parents relating to children, older siblings to younger siblings, boss to employee, educated to uneducated, the elder and the younger, the able and the disabled, the man and the woman, those belonging to the majority and the minority, those with power and those without it. We all fit within overlapping circles. A person can belong to both a dominant group, like their race or gender, a white male, and in other ways they can belong to a minority group, in regards to their sexuality or disability. We all have spheres of privilege, some much smaller than others. One might have only a mite to spare, while others have great wealth. It is for us to comb through the details of our lives and recognize the areas of our privilege and ask God, who have you placed under my care? What responsibilities and obligations have you given me towards this person? How can I equalize the injustice that I am party to? How are you calling me to use my voice? What part do I have to play in your work of justice? After you have a moment to reflect, I want us to take a moment where we will decide and take action today as we begin living this journey in the spirit of Sabbath. Maybe you will decide to research ways to get more involved in your community. Maybe there's an injustice that you're already aware of that you want to speak out against. Maybe there is a way you want to begin to use your voice to stand up for the marginalized among you. Maybe you're just going to take this week and actively pray to God for wisdom on how to be part of the healing work of justice. Let's take a moment to reflect, decide, and act. Dear Heavenly God, we ask you for the wisdom to know how we can be an instrument of justice in this world as we enter into the spirit of Sabbath give us a heart to relieve the suffering of those around us and rectify the injustices that are within our power to correct let every hard moment every uncomfortable truth be an invitation to find refuge in you and may our time with you transform us and give us the wisdom we need to impart your grace healing and equality into the world amen